It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at, at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see See what music does to people. It gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to another episode of Internet Hate Machine. So this is the final installment of our two-part episode with Francesca Fiorentini, where we look at the ways that harassment online keeps women, particularly women of color and Black women, from being able to run for and hold public office safely and how that impacts our democracy more broadly. So in our last episode, we talked about some national leaders like Kamala Harris. And in this episode, we're zeroing in to look at some specific women in local public offices and the harassment and abuse that they faced just for trying to do their jobs. So, you know, we're talking about Harris, but I want to make it clear that when it comes to women who are running for public office, it is not always like flashy candidates with well-funded campaigns who are like running for a presidential administration. We're often talking about women running for like local offices, like school boards in their community or county commissioners. So I want to talk about a few examples of what I mean. Uh, The first is Tammy Sawyer. We'll actually hopefully hear from Tammy Sawyer in her own words later in the season. But I want to talk about her time as an elected official in Memphis, Tennessee. So Mm. Tammy Sawyer got her start in activism. She felt called to public service, uh, watching the acquittal of George Zimmerman during the murder of Trayvon Martin and the grand jury decision not to try Darren Wilson for the death of Mike Brown. Uh, She became a pretty, like, visible figure in the movement for Black Lives. In 2015, she organized a vigil in honor of Tamir Rice at the Health Sciences Park in Memphis. If you've ever been there uh, in the last few years, you know that it had a statue of uh, Confederate General and Ku Klux Klan Grand Wizard Nathan Bedford Forrest, the namesake for the movie Forrest Gump. Fun fact. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> In 2017, Tammy Sawyer organized the uh, hashtag Take em Down 901 movement, which led to the statue being removed. In 2018 of August, she was elected to Shelby County Commissioner for District 7 in Memphis. So she was this, like, 
visible figure in the movement for Black lives. But that thing that elevated her to the public stage also made her a huge target for white supremacists. Things came to a head in June when she was doing a press conference at this park during the actual removal of the monument. So here's a little bit of, like, weird backstory. Through this, like, very weird compromise, the group Sons of Confederate Veterans were responsible for hiring and overseeing the construction project to remove this Confederate statue. Uh, It sounds like they never wanted the statue to be removed in the first place, and the team that they put together and hired to remove it seemed to reflect that, right? This team that they had was obviously not thrilled that these statues were coming down, to say the least. Yeah, that's an interesting contractor. <laughs> yeah, like... Sons I, of the Confederate <laughs> veterans, like a Confederate statue enthusiasts. <laughs> yes. You know? I don't fully get it. No. Is there no one else who can take down <laughs> the statues? It's just the same people who put them up are yes. also the people who take them down? That's the, that's the compromise. It has to be fair. So the crew hired to take down these monuments. They ended up putting Confederate flags all over the job site. Uh, it, it sounds like they intentionally covered this, like, Black Lives Matter mural with bricks while working. Just, like, petty shit, right? Just, like, petty stunt shit. That's, that's how they were doing this for whatever reason. I don't fully get, like, why or how this happened, but petty stunt shit. So a member of that crew hired to remove the monument is a man named George K. Rack Johnson, who is the founding member of a group called Confederate 901, who has a history of, like, showing up in places where Confederate monuments are being taken down. They were the group, if you, if you remember, like, the group that was protesting a Confederate monument being taken down at Ole Miss, that was them. Mm. I found this very interesting. A piece in the Clarion Ledger says that the group is mostly white, shocker, but... They do have a Black member who led one of their marches in Memphis. Uh, So, like, yay for inclusion. (laughs) Something else to know about this guy is that in addition to being a founding member of this Confederate group, he loves Facebook Live. And here's what he had to say about his own presence in Pittsburgh, North Carolina, on Facebook Live. Today, I was like, I want to go to Chapel Hill. I want to go to Pittsburgh. I want to go to where they've already removed the monuments, you know? And honestly, yeah, I was looking to stir the pot. But hey, they've been stirring the pot for a long damn time, and I'm about ready to make my own batch of stew, you know? Ugh. All right. So <laughs> that's him. Get a I know, ring, something get about a that ring my, my guy. <laughs> what are yeah, you doing? Like, you want to eat people? Yeah, that's literally <laughs> what you're saying. What? Uh, that was my, that was my understanding as well. <laughs> yeah, it's a very weird, gross analogy, and I I don't like it at all. And so this is the, this is a person who is hired to be part of the construction crew to take down this monument, but to do it in the stuntiest way possible in Memphis, where Tammy Sawyer has like led this campaign to remove these monuments. And while Tammy is trying to hold a press conference at this park, Johnson stands behind her, marching back and forth, holding a Confederate flag. He uses racist insults toward her. He sings the Confederate anthem Dixie as he's trying to speak. My God. Here's a little clip of what it sounded like outside the Health and Sciences Park in Memphis that day. So when they put all of this on social media, it continued to threaten my life. I didn't threaten your life. When they continue to do all this and say they're going to beat my ass, but you have it on record, and they wave their racist Confederate symbols behind me. Remember, okay? 
I came out here to give y'all a statement and say that this was a powerful moment. I was going to connect it to it's Tulsa. A communist moment. I was going to connect it to Memphis Massacre. You know who else has been called a communist? They called Martin Luther King a communist. They called Eric Davis a communist. They called the Black Panthers communists. communists. James Baldwin was called a communist. James Weldon Johnson was called a communist. Muhammad Ali was called a communist. Make sure you get a picture of the man who just went in my life. The man who just said he was going to lay hands on me. Yeah. And then make sure you go down there when they arrest me. And remember that I do this by myself. No one, no one comes with me. Oh, no. Sorry. No security. So sad. Coward. That's what these people are. They're cowards. Yeah, I'm a coward. Standing right here by so you said you were going to beat my ass. I'm right here. Hi behind the fence. Come beat my ass. If he was a man, I'm, I'm, I'm more man than you are. Well, I'm more of a gentleman oh, than you are. Oh, yes, Tammy. Yes, Tammy. <laughs> Remember that. Audrey Lord once said, they will kill you and say you like me. I'm not going to let him kill me. But if he does, you know who to go find, right? Y'all know where to start. So that's really where things kind of come to a head. And honestly, it's hard to watch that because I really feel for Tammy in that video. You know, she's just trying to do her job. Uh, She obviously has to respond in this moment with, like, grace because it's happening in public. And you don't want to give these people any fodder to be like, oh, she deserved it. You know, you you can't really respond the way that you might want to because of all the negative stereotypes that women deal with that we talked about earlier. And yeah, I just, I really feel for her. Like, I feel like it's palpable to see that she, she's dealing with this alone. And and like Tammy, Tammy was actually on my podcast, The Bituation Room, a while ago before this. And she's the most lovely person. Like, she's so wonderful and and just like warm and thoughtful and fierce and you can and clearly it comes across but it is just funny that like yeah the confederacy has been reduced to a sad man on a random tuesday with nothing to do with a tiny little flag and his little you know his airpods uh listening to whatever the fuck he's listening to waving his flag behind a woman in a doing a press conference like Robert E. Lee would be so proud of you, sir. Oh God! Like, <laughs> keep the keep the flame alive, you idiot! Like, you want to lose again? The fuck you fucking lost the Civil War, bitch! Like, I'm sorry. I'm just like, you can't get over the fact that you goddamn lost, and you want a stupid monument to your loser ass, you know, Civil War hero. Shut the fuck up. Fun fact: the show The Golden Girls lasted longer than the Confederacy, so maybe we should have monuments to that. You know? Yes, we should. Sophia deserves her own yes. monument. I, I, as an Italian woman, believe Sophia is our, our, our queen. Um, no, yeah, that is, it's just so sad. It is. And so after this interaction, Sawyer filed charges against him and said that, you know, he threatened her. During the investigation, it is revealed that that same man, after she filed those charges, went on Facebook Live and read her address out loud. Here is a little bit about how she explains what went down after the incident we just heard? Because he 
went on Facebook Live with a friend and uh, offered out my address and actually emailed out my address to people telling them to send me cotton and other gifts and uh, show me who was in charge in this country um, and, you know, threatening that after January 24th, after court, that Memphis and me were going to face a reckoning. Because of those actions that came to light this weekend, uh, the judge was uh, forced to allow the case to continue. But the judge is also from Dyer County, um, and he did not want the case to continue. And he lectured Mr. Johnson and told him, you have a great lawyer. Um, you know, why did you open your mouth? You know, don't ruin a good thing. He told him, son, don't ruin a good thing. And so I, I already see where this is going. <laughs> wow. That is incredible that that was what was discussed. And so, so what, There's nothing left for you here? I was in court, and when I attempted to speak, the judge told me that I don't address him. I could talk to the DA. This is the same DA that never called me, interviewed me. And actually today, when the case was continued to be set for trial in March, uh, said I'll now have to look at this case. I have to be honest. I, I, I hadn't looked at it because I just knew it was going to be dismissed. So this is a six-month-old situation that went viral, that was covered on your show and many others. Um, and the DA is telling me he's never looked at the file, and now he's going to have to look at it. Um, there's still a motion to dismiss from the defense that'll be heard on March 31st. So, yeah, um, you can you sort know. of get a sense that, like, it doesn't sound like anybody whose job it is to give a shit gives a mm -hmm. shit. She's an elected official. Is I believe she's still currently the the commissioner, Shelby County Commissioner. No, no she was at that point, but no longer. No, she's not like today. Right. But yeah. So she at, at that point she was still an elected official, and this is how they were treating a pretty clear like pro like problem, you know. And so keep, and also keep in mind she was a county commissioner, right? It's not like she had a well funded security detail or like endless right. funds to dedicate to the kinds of like security that someone would need in a situation like this. You know, after this man made a show of having her address and, 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 a, and a clear intent to cause her harm. And so Tammy had to fundraise for her own security. I should say, full disclosure, I do work for a organization that did help her fundraise for her security details. So, like, I should add that. But it only makes us like you more, Bridget. Okay, That's good. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want someone to, like, find that and be like, wait a minute, conflict of interest. I mean, and, and I, I love Tammy and I admire her work so much and like you know it, it is what it is like i like i can't believe you would cover this story then. that's <laughs> that is wow i mean it's like i thought you saw, had integrity Bridget, i mean but yeah, no. it's like you know we we saw what happened and it just it felt like nobody had her back right yeah. like she shouldn't have to it shouldn't be this this barrier and this cost that just she alone has to shoulder it's not yeah. like county commissioners this like lucrative cushy thing like she shouldn't have to just like shell out to have to have security because some confederate maniac has a bee in its bonnet like no, i thought it was no, completely unacceptable yes and it's indicative of the fact that most people who run for elected office and who get elected are themselves wealthy and they're usually white dudes um, and they have generational wealth they're, or they're independently wealthy, whatever the case may be, and they can afford a security detail but again as you've discussed uh, and laid out mostly when you are a white man in office, you do not face those kinds of threats the way women and women of color do. And it goes from, I mean, from Tammy to AOC on, you know, on a federal level, I guess, or in, in Congress, you know, AOC saying we need security. And this is 
after January 6th, right? This is like, we need better security in and around the Capitol. And it seems like that's only reserved for people who, um, like the speaker, or mm -hmm. um, who people who just privately fund it themselves. And who's got the money for that? I mean, this exactly. is ostensibly, these should be public servants, and this is the mint, they're just the least we could do for them. Exactly. And if we're saying we want to have a representative democracy where lots of different folks from lots of different backgrounds can be public servants, that should include people who, I'm sorry, can't afford a, a private security detail. It shouldn't just be for wealthy people. And I feel like we are creating a situation where the only people who can reasonably and safely hold public office are people who have independent wealth to pay the astronomical costs that are involved with security and but online and offline security. And so right. I, I think it's a real problem. And, you know, I, I should say, like, with the Tammy Sawyer situation, the charges were eventually dropped against the person who was harassing her. You know, it sounds like Tammy felt like this case was not handled seriously. Right. She talks about how the judge was, like, really palling it up with, with, the, with the defendant uh, who she says was harassing her. And... <sighs> When the uh, judge was like, oh, you know, why did that don't go on Facebook Live? It wasn't because he wanted Tammy to feel safe. It was because he didn't want that guy to make his case that much harder to have it yeah. be dismissed. And so when, her, when the charges were dismissed, Tammy wrote on Facebook, she said that, she, that even though the judge called his actions pathetic, he could not identify a reasonable level of fear on her part. And so I would actually argue that that, that, that like, God weird, I know, it's so fucked up. And, like, I think that weird vibe, that tightrope of, like, I have to show public grace kind of creates this impossible situation where it's like, oh, well, you can handle it. Like, you're a black woman. It's just, like, part of showing up and being a visible black woman. You're not afraid, whatever, whatever. And I think that's part of it. It's this impossible situation that we face. You're used to it. No, it. imagine if she had freaked out in that video. Imagine if she'd gotten angry, right? It would have been used against her. She, the, the homie would have, that other dude, the dude would have used it to file charges against her, right? And you know that would have flown. And this he would judge have would have been like, oh. That. He would have loved that. He was just waiting for her to go off on him, and she didn't. She had to keep her cool, um, which is asked of marginalized people all the time because when you raise your voice, somehow that is, uh, that's a threat. But, yeah, I think the other thing I was going to say, and this is a terrible comparison, but when it comes to the justice system, it's just right there for the taking. Like, you know that rape victims, are their cases are not taken seriously often if they don't quote unquote fight back mm -hmm. right so uh, and in this case oh she wasn't afraid she wasn't afraid because she didn't raise her voice or she didn't run she wasn't physically running at the time um, so therefore there was no fear like what are you talking about this is all about surviving and I just I mean you bring up such a good point about the ways that we really just failed survivors and made and made survivors walk a really impossible tightrope uh, in public. And it's just really yeah. fucked up. And yeah, it makes me very sad. And totally. today, Tammy Sawyer is no longer in public office. She is pursuing a PhD. And don't get me wrong, like, she is still doing great things. Like, we will hear her. I am so sure we're going to hear her name again, like, just because she's no longer in public office. I don't think this is, like, the end of her, the end of her road by, by any margin. But I do think that we should acknowledge this, like, added burden that she was forced to carry because of her identity. You know, pursuing charges against somebody who gave out her address and encouraged people to harass her. And it's like, 
we, rather than taking the time to really reflect on that or acknowledge that, we just move on. We, we're just like, oh, yeah, like, it just, right. a, it just feels like a footnote as opposed to something that is a real marker of our democracy and, and, and how unwell our democratic system is right now. It's also it reminds me of like uh, she was working with Black Voters Matter when I mm-hmm. I had her on, so she also has done incredible activism, and and you're totally right. We'll continue to do so. But it reminds me of like uh, women in comedy, you know, where it's like uh, a lot of male bookers will be like, well, look, I I would put more women on my show, but like well, they're not any good women. There, I don't know any female comics. It's like number one. You're you're blind, and there are tons <laughs> of amazing women, female comics. But also, it's like, yeah, look at the industry writ large. Like, look at the culture of comedy in a lot of ways. We don't have HR. There's not. It's like a not a safe space specifically for women and for women of color. The comedy space just isn't, you know, right? Like, and and it's the same thing with elected office. You're just like, well, you know, we. We love to have like some kind of quota or have like more women in office, but just they don't run. And 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 I think Republicans are so guilty of that too, you know, because it's like they have what like three female senators. It just it's like the lowest in, in in internationally. I think the U.S. Congress is one of the least representative bodies when it comes to gender. And so and like and it's just like well we 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 support them if they would run for office. No, they run for office. They just get torn down. I mean, I'm also thinking of someone like Katie Hill in California, Mm -hmm. right? Like, they get torn the fuck apart. So, yeah. Yeah, and it's funny that you, I mean, not funny, but what Katie Hill went through was a sex crime. Like, she was the victim of a sex crime by uh, an ex-romantic partner who was, like, like, harassing her. And yet, it's like, we just allow, we just have a really fucked up culture when it comes to women. I guess I'll yes. just say that. Like, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. all I can really say. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, then look no further than the Marketing School podcast hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. 
It is the number one marketing podcast in the United States and number 15 on business in the United States. And it has amazing guests such as Alex Hormozzi, Layla Hormozzi, Cody Sanchez. We pull in these amazing interviews with other people that are not only great marketers, but actual operators. And the icing on the cake is Neil and myself were also operators as well. So we share learnings from the trenches. We share secrets that we otherwise wouldn't be sharing with other people. And we also share other advantages that will help you get ahead of your competition. So all you have to do is listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. Oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed, And to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. So I want to talk about one more elected official and her experience in public office, Kia Morris. Uh, She made history in 2014 as Vermont's only Black woman lawmaker, Her husband, James, grew up in Bennington, Vermont, and she went to college in Chicago, but relocated back to Vermont to become a lawmaker. Um, Her career was very short-lived because it was completely derailed by online harassment and violent threats by self-proclaimed white nationalist Max Mish. Mish was kind of known as like a violent— Wait, wait, wait. His name is Max Mish? Max Mish. (laughs) Dude, white nationalists have the dumbest names. They really do. Like, they really do. Match, mish, mish, match. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just like that is the stupid. Anyway, sorry. It's like a Mickey Mouse name. That's a made it's up. It's so stupid. So he's kind of like no, like a known violent asshole. Uh, side note: He looks exactly like whatever you're thinking that he looks like based on the behavior I'm about to describe. I can tell you that you're right. Whatever you're thinking, yes, that's what he looks like. Very red faced. Super red face. You got it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You got it. (laughs) (laughs) So Mish, he pled guilty to both first-degree aggravated domestic assault and disorderly conduct as a hate crime. So he has this, like, he doesn't have a great, like, he's like a known shithead, I guess. So he's been through a lot is what you're saying. Yes. He's just a real victim, you know? (laughs) And so... Kia, when she supports a gun safety bill, she starts to experience animosity from gun rights advocates in Vermont Mm. because of her support of this legislation. Uh, Now, many legislators and the governor were targeted with, like, angry mail and and messages over this this law. But the kind of content that she gets is very different because she's a black woman and the only black woman in the legislature. So, you know, Mm. she's not just getting, like, oh, we didn't like that you support this bill. She's getting frightening, horrific, racist messages, particularly from Max Mish. Max starts sending her these, like, racist memes on Twitter and elsewhere about her support for the bill. Uh, Kia says that she gets an uptick in, in, in the intensity of this kind of harassment 
after a columnist for the white supremacist website, The InfoStormer, posts about her re-election and starts tagging, like, residents in it. The InfoStormer. Sorry, I had to give that a moment. (laughs) I know. I feel like it's like... We storm the truth. They're, like, putting a bunch of words into, like, an AI generator or something. And it's like, InfoStormer, that's going to be it. Like, you mean Daily Stormer? No, we're, like, a breakaway (laughs) of the Daily Stormer. Who even is that? Exactly. InfoStormer. It's so ridiculous. And so... In a 10-page report published by the Vermont uh, Attorney's General, Attorney General's Office, it outlines almost 50 instances of threatening behavior where her or her family or her neighbors uh, called the police. And so first, Jesus, it's like, in Vermont? In Vermont. Oh, you guys. And it's funny because you think of Vermont as like a progressive state, but, yep. you know, it's like, this shit happens, you know? Mm-hmm. It's not just Bernie building a fire endlessly. And and the and the coat factory, <laughs> or like wearing mittens. <laughs> exactly, it's Vermont. It's more than mittens. It's, that should be their slogan. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's what Max Mish wants. Like they they these guys must be so mad that Bernie like put them on the map as like as the governor of Vermont is a Republican. Yeah, it's one of those states, right? It's one Vermont's of those sort of weird. like. It's kind of a, a Max Mish state, you know? It's a Mish. It's a Mash Mish state, <laughs> it's a, yeah. It's a Max Mish of, yeah, of yes. ideology. Mm-hmm. Their governor is, I think his name is Phil Scott, and he's like, this is like his fourth time. Right. Oof, and, yeah. and, and it was the one issue that Sanders, like Clinton was to the left of Sanders on because there's so many gun enthusiasts in Vermont. Yeah. And Sanders was, I mean, I think now that's like, I mean, how many mass shootings has there been since 2016, right? So uh, even now, I don't think he can hold that line, but it's been the sort of one gray area where he was like, had to appease the gun folks in his state. Yeah, I get, I get, I mean, like, honestly, researching this episode, I get it. I was like, oh, I don't think I realized how fervent gun ideology is. Like, I live in D.C., so like, there's gun crimes here, but like individuals don't have the same kind of um, connection to it. And when I was researching this episode, I was like, oh, wow, like I forget how different it is in different states that like right. it's a real issue. Right. It's it's they're They're all arming up for the imagined crime, whereas like D.C. actually has a little bit of it. <laughs> yeah. 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 So the kinds of messages that she's getting from Max Mish um, are just racist garbage, you know, Go back to Africa. It's the only place that you'll be safe. That kind of thing, right? And so in August of 2016, she files a complaint with the FBI where she says that this guy and his associates are harassing her on Twitter. But as online harassment often works, it doesn't just stay online. It bleeds from Twitter and Facebook into her offline life. On election day, she's doing a campaign event at a polling place, and she sees this guy, Max, Mm. there staring at her and weirding her out. Then somebody breaks into her home They stole about a hundred of her husband's neckties and littered them across a cemetery in her home, which is very weird. Like a very weird thing. So can you imagine them getting together and being like, so which, what should we do? You know, (laughs) should we like, should we put like a horse in her bed? Like in, you know, Godfather. No, 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 no. no. I saw this one thing uh, on (laughs) like the Lifetime channel. We're going to do the neckties. (laughs) The necktie thing. Pete, I don't know if we should do the neck. No, trust me. We're going to do the necktie (laughs) thing. It'll be it'll be crazy. We just put a little necktie on every single gravestone. It's such it's such a weird even... specific like way to fuck with somebody. Yes. It's so bizarre. You know, it's like a it's like a snowman but of but of headstones and you put right. 
you know, we'd, we're going to get the corncob pipe and the carrot nose and then one of their <laughs> neckties. It'll freak her out. I mean, probably mission accomplished. Yeah, she was completely freaked out. Also, her home was vandalized with uh, yeah. paintballs. But then we're going to bake her a pie. So <laughs> one hot piping apple pie. <laughs> yeah, a lot of mixed signals from these harassers. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. A house nearby that has a ton of her, like, campaign paraphernalia on their windows gets a racist mailer shoved under the door. And then her babysitter reports that a man in a car outside of her home is recording their house. So, like, just, like, weird, weird, scary shit that maybe does not, like, I kind of see whoever's doing this, it kind of seems like they're trying to operate on, like, a level of, like, it's enough to freak you out, but not enough to be, like, you know the kind of crime that the police would take seriously. Like, I feel like they're, they're really walking a line of, like, it has to be scary, but not scary enough that, like, somebody in power would take this seriously. But that's sort of the, it, the tricky thing with harassment generally, right? And with, like, crimes, whether they be, I mean, especially sexual crimes, but, like, is that gray area? And it's the sort of, you know, I know it's overused, but that microaggression, but this, this is obviously much more than that. Like, the micro... The stalking, right? The harassing and harassment. It's like, well, did he enter with a gun? Did it? Like, no, buddy, there's a car outside. Uh, someone's filming me. And it's just like, and of course, um, cops, uh, not the most empathetic, not the best at dealing with some of these. The warning signs, which, by the way, is really just, hey, do you have a history of DV? Yeah. Then you should have someone tailing you at all times because likely right. you're going to do some other shit to somebody else. And you probably shouldn't have a gun. And you definitely shouldn't have a gun. Like, just some common sense, like, yeah, if you've been threatening your domestic partner, maybe let's not get a gun in the mix. Like, nope. just, you know. Uh, so the police, it sounds like, don't really do anything. Like, they don't, she, when, when, they, when somebody breaks into her house, they don't, like, take fingerprints or whatever. She gets a restraining order against him, but it only lasts for one year. After the restraining order expires... Max Mish contacts her again on social media, writing on Twitter, you will never silence me. Every time you attend a political rally at the Four Corners or another local venue and I'm aware of the event, I will troll the hell out of you and other subversives there. Maybe I'll bring a friend or three with me, too. Stop pushing social justice on your nearly entirely white constituency in Bennington, Vermont. Go back to Chicago if you want to engage in social justice warrior bullshit. We will continue to fight against you and your efforts to make our town and state look more like your mongrel son. Ooh. So pretty fucked up. Like, not good. And so I understand why she was, like, terrified and unnerved. But unfortunately, the attorney general declines to press charges against this guy, explaining that in this case, the online communications that were sent to Miss Morris by Max Mish and others were clearly racist and offensive. However, the First Amendment does not make speech sanctionable merely because it is objectionable. The question here is whether the messages and context were communicating a serious expression of intent to harm Miss Morris or her family. The yeah. fact, it sounds like. Yes. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Yes. 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 The fact that a number of the messages were directed at her as in her role as an elected official raises the issue of whether they were intended to express political opposition through the use of hyperbole and insult, as noted oh. in the case above. Therefore, there appears to be insufficient evidence to pursue criminal charges under Vermont law. Oh, that's so, case such bullshit. I mean, that's such bullshit. Because that, that's, that's basically like, well, it's open season. You know, and here we are in a moment where it's like, oh my God, someone protested outside of Brett Kavanaugh's home. Like, how dare you? You know what? We really need to beef up security on... Um, um, 
white men in power, like, or the Supreme Court is just being targeted. Like, no, these are the stories that happen all the time on a local level. People have been harassed for decades and we don't hear it. Abby Gifford's got has to get shot in the head and we still don't have security details for elected officials. I mean, it's just how many more instances do you need? And that's was so perfect. It's like, oh, OK, we, we know who we choose to protect. We know when people raise the alarm. It's when fucking Ted Cruz gets trolled at a Yankees game and then it's like, oh, my God. Yeah. And it creates this like really obviously false, frustrating both sides narrative of like, oh, they both sides do it. And it's like, well, someone writing in chalk outside of Brett Kavanaugh's home is different than like breaking into Nancy Pelosi's home and hitting her husband on the head with a hammer. It's like, those are not analogous. So like, let's not pretend that they are. Like, I I hate this vibe of like, I think that political violence and threats against elected officials is like a, should be a nonpartisan issue. But I hate this on this vibe that like, we have to be completely disingenuous about which side is doing it in a way that is, like, much more fucking scary. Yes. So, case closed. They're not going to press any charges against this guy. Uh, there's a press conference where the DA is announcing that he does not intend to press charges against Max Mish. Uh, after the DA speaks about freedom of speech, Kia gets up to the podium to speak. And guess who comes in? Max Mish. Uh, he's wearing a Pepe the Frog shirt. And you can hear God. everyone's reaction when he enters. No. There's no disruption here. No. 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 Max Mish has entered the press conference. Why is this allowed? Why is he not allowed, I guess? And we have to listen to we're here at one side of the store. I'd like to say something too, please. So I'm happy to take other questions other than that. Uh, Alan, federal civil rights violations that could be pursued. We don't believe so. The U.S. Attorney So we this is not with that. With that, I'm going to conclude. The press conference, unless there are other questions. Um, I'd like to say something, please. As a political opponent who was accused of being a Nazi myself, I think we're here on one side of the story. Oh, my God. Uh, so this is failed lawmaker Kevin Hoyt. Kaya's politics, and I was called a Nazi. I was called a white supremacist. You probably are, my guy. Years, obviously, racism exists in Vermont State. It's like hate, right? It's like this is all these Hoyt. things. That, it's crazy. We don't want these things, but they're part of our fabric of society. I question to what degree, though. I call bullshit on Miss Morris. I think I'm a <gasps> Okay, so you kind of get the idea. Wow. Also, FYI. Kevin Hoyt is his, is like you if, if folks are interested he's he's his own like weird guy who folks you can look at him up if you're interested but it's so so funny that he's like I was also unfairly called a Nazi and I think we should let him speak it is just wild right like complete pandemonium onlookers use their jackets to try to block Mish um, it's this big dramatic scene but not to Max Mish to him it is all a big joke he told the free press. I am a troll. I like it. I like this. Like, it's just funny to him. And so I would love to play a little clip of him responding to the free press. Because I can. Yes, you can. Absolutely. That doesn't explain why you do. But that's why we were holding up our coats so that people of color don't have to see that hate. And we're surrounding you and we don't like it. It's, It's vile. 
It's vile. Yes, you have the right to put the shirt on, but I have the right to tell you that it's hateful, it's cruel, and it's vile. I see. Uh, I mean, um, you can cry about it all you want. I don't care. I'm not crying. I'm pissed. It's Max. Are you intentionally being provocative? That's what people want. Yes. Why? Why are you being provocative? I like trolling people. It's fun. God, I'm so over that concept. You do and look how much done, attention um, he's getting for doing it. So he's clearly just someone who likes to like, like this is a joke to him. I don't think that he's, any of this is serious to him. I think it's just a joke. Oh my God. If mommy the fucking issues. Pepe shirt. I'm like, oh, just, just like mom issues in a person, you know, like, um, it's, it's cause I want attention cause I didn't get enough as a child and no one will play with me. And one time they ditched me in the sandbox for like the volleyball <laughs> court and I didn't know how to play volleyball. And, uh, you know, it's just like, it like, oh my God, go to therapy, bro. Go to therapy. People like, again, what is it? What will it take? And I think that's the woman who's like, yes, I have the right to also, you know, stand in front of you and call you hateful. She was excellent. And then she points out that the media is going to the provocateur and saying, which is just a really funny statement. I mean, I don't no disrespect to local news, but like or, or the free press. But like, it is very funny to be like, are you being intentionally provocative? Like, yeah. Like, what is the other answer to that? No, in my heart of hearts, I do believe that white people are a superior race. Like, huh, interesting. Expound on that. You know, like, what? what's the other answer? Yes, he's being provocative on purpose. Does it has it have to do with his fucked up ideology? Doesn't even matter. Yeah, and asking him about that with a camera, with like a bunch of camera crews in his face. Like, sir, are you intentionally being provocative? Are we like it's like you're providing the answer is clearly yes. And you're providing him the exact thing that a provocateur wants a platform. Yeah. And this is and I think it's important to remember 24, I believe 2014 or maybe 15. But kind of when the media was lending a platform to people like Richard Spencer, people like these sort of, you know, um, Nazis in suits or sort of, you know, and and on on the cusp of the election of Donald Trump. Effectively saying, maybe we need to listen to Nazis a little bit more. And now that they've um, made their message a little more couth and digestible, um, you know, hey, they're not hateful. They just believe we should live uh, in separate communities for uh, people of color and white people. There's nothing hateful about that. Like, I mean, just the mind trick that I think white nationalists pulled on the media and the media in turn pulled on us. We're seeing that in a microcosm in this example that you that you brought up. Yeah, it infuriates me, and yeah. I I will never forget this. There's a there's a and I I like the publication for the most part, but like there's a Mother Jones piece where it's mm-hmm. like oh the the dapper white supremacists walking through town like that I I feel like I it's like burned into my memory of like what are we doing? What are we normalizing? What are we glamorizing? What are we giving a platform? And the thing that fucks with me is. I worry that we learned nothing. I worry that yeah. when I when I look at like how the media is covering somebody like Ron DeSantis, for instance, sure. I worry that we have learned nothing. The media has learned nothing about what kind of hateful bullshit ideology they will amplify and normalize, despite the fact that he's like criminalizing trans youth and shit, and like yep. putting you know putting immigrants on buses and shit, like rewriting history books. 
It infuriates <laughs> me. The way that this kind of like horse race kind of political coverage is going, I see us poised to do the same thing again where I see these memes about like, Ron DeSantis is tall or like things like that where I'm like, <laughs> yeah, he's also like a hate monger. Can we talk about that? Right. They're just so desperate to move on from Trump even though they're not. I think there's just this, I mean, that's like our political system is such it, it, especially the and the media's like following of the political system is so reliant on the idea that there are two rational actors. Obviously, we have all of two parties in this country. <laughs> Yay. And they're both <laughs> rational and they're both great and we can level with them. And, you know, it's a balance of powers. And it's like, no, it's not. It's bullshit. One side doesn't believe in a balance of powers. They believe in authoritarianism. But, yeah, you're you're, you're absolutely right. I'm because it is exactly that. Ron DeSantis is the buttoned up. Donald Trump and Richard Spencer is the buttoned up David Duke, right? And so as long as he's not openly saying he's a member of the KKK, it's all good. And well, even though people hailed Hitler in his little, you know, like hotel speech when Trump won, that's fine because he's in a suit and he's got a nice haircut. Yeah, I... God, I want us to be better. We we deserve a better... we We deserve better media that can, like, tell a better version of these stories that isn't so harmful. Like, we, like I'm exhausted because I know we're not going to get it. Yeah. And also, there's enough on the Democratic side. Like, there's enough in... We got a lot of, like, conservative Dems. There's tons of drama on this side. Talk about those folks. But anyway, I digress. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A., I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. 
how this beguiling woman in her 50s she looked like a million bucks with zero qualifications she had a harvard plaque tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents she's got all of these maseratis and bentleys all in the driveway is it like a mansion yes it's a mansion that this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes about six million approximately 11 million dollars nearly 10 million dollars was all gone employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry. She would probably have sex with one of her clients. Hide your money in your old rich men, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So while all of this was happening to Kia, her husband James was in very poor health and he had to have open heart surgery. So I know like this shit had to be stressful for her. Uh, And so perhaps not surprisingly, 10 days after she won the Democratic nomination for a third term as state representative, she announced that she was dropping her campaign and packed up and left town shortly thereafter for her family's safety. Um, Mm -hmm. She this is really sad. Like she talks about how her son, who at the time was seven, saw the threats that she got, like, saw them and, like, understood them and had questions about them and was so scared that he built a, tried to build a panic room in their home out of his closet. Oh, and so, like, my God. it is scary and sad. And after she left town, Mish was quoted as saying, I won. I did it. So, yeah, just a real piece of shit. Good for you, asshole. I hope it's given, you know, he's still unhappy. Isn't that crazy? I think he's still unhappy. He's still insufferable, that's for sure. This is yeah. this is the threat of equality. This is what I mean, I love it. Like you you want social justice. Like what are you talking about? This is a predominantly white state, a predominantly white electorate, a predominantly white, you know, uh whatever state body. Uh, like in no way is she trying again by her mere existence. Her mere existence and the threat, the the supposed threat of one day there could be equality. One day there could be two Kia Morrises. Oh, my God. Like Still all of two equality. black women in their legislature. <laughs> yup. And, and then it'll be all over. I mean, we'll still have the power, white dudes, but it'll feel like we don't because someone's going to quote Audre Lorde to us. And we'll I don't, like, Or what? Or, like, someone's going to, like, want to create a program for black youth in our state. Like, Christ. So this story does not end there. Because if you're thinking, wow, it sounds like officials didn't do a great job of taking the situation seriously or investigating it, uh, you would be right. After Kia left office, she filed a complaint with Vermont's Human Rights Commission in 2019 alleging discrimination by the police department and the town of Bennington. An investigation found that the Bennington police chief failed to disclose relevant information about her harasser to her, including his possession of high-capacity firearms and details of an interview that they did with his ex-wife where she expressed concern for Kia's safety. The investigator recommended that the commission find reasonable grounds that the town of Bennington discriminated against her on the basis of race and color, and the town had to publicly apologize and agreed to pay her $137,000. So, yeah, they didn't properly investigate it. They withheld information that 
frankly, she should have been informed of. And they just like didn't take it seriously. And yeah. when online threats of, of and online abuse are not taken seriously by people with power, dangerous things can happen. It can get really, really scary. And honestly, like I am grateful that she it it didn't it didn't come to like actual physical violence that 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 like you know it didn't wind up like that but it so easily could have mm-hmm. oh obviously and it's like and I mean essentially she was paid to kind of go away you know like, yeah 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 there's a settlement I would argue it's very low but it's just like well that's the cost of uh, doing business and attempting to be a black woman in the state legislature like. Or in leadership. Bye. Like, anyway, sorry. It's, um, and it, and I think it's also interesting because you see, again, there's like, mo- it's a white people problem. <laughs> like, I'm reminded of W. Kamau Bell's like, you know, <laughs> come get your boy when it comes to Trump. And it's in terms of what happened to Kia. It's like, it's not a Kia problem. It's a everybody else problem. And you see like, you know, some of the white, you know, officials or police officers, folks around. And I think it's like, you know, you guys are the ones who have a lot of work to do. It's a you you all problem. It's it's not a Kia problem. So how is this systemic? And um, and yeah. And also, when are we going to get to the idea that once everyone is liberated, once there is equality, that will mean or once the most marginalized are liberated, it'll mean liberty and equality and freedom for everybody. Sorry, I'm, I've got to practice that part before I run for president. Yeah, I mean, I would vote for you tomorrow. Thank Me too. you. Thanks. <laughs> thanks, 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 thanks. Hell yeah. So these stories are obviously heartbreaking, but I also think they show the true cost of to all of us of what happens when things like online harassment and abuse just go unchecked. And I, we, we know this. Her, this kind of harassment keeps marginalized people from running for office. You know, I, I'm sad to say that I think a lot of people will hear about the experiences of women like this and they'll be like, oh, well, that is just the cost of being a public figure. Yes. Deal with it. But yes. we deserve a political landscape where, like, this is not just the cost of wanting to serve your community, especially when that cost is so much higher for the most marginalized among us. Absolutely. I mean, I think that I think with the late, latest midterms and the fact that, like, young people came out in droves and that you had you know, the squad growing with a lot of young folks and specifically young people of color we will stop normalizing this kind of crap and b- because there will be just more of it because there will be mm-hmm. more women in office. There will be more people of color in office, which is a good thing. But then this is the crap that comes along with it. And so it's like not to mention the fact that younger generations are God. I mean, from middle school dealing with online harassment from peers, from randos, like it's just gone are the days of random AOL chats and uh, me logging in and being like, I am Blonde, sexy lady. Hello. Sorry. I'm just talking about how I was on the internet as a kid. That's how I was, too. I was like, yes, that's how I was, too. Right, right. And you're like, and now it's like, oh, no, there's consequences and everyone's using their real name and, like, people are stalking you and what, what? Um, not that that wasn't happening then. But uh, so I feel like, especially since young folks are also more internet savvy and and online harassment savvy and experience it, we will arrive at a point, Bridget, and you will be vindicated in all of your work in this show and everything that you've been sounding the alarm on. I know we will be vindicated, but it's just going to take a while. It's going to give us like a decade, which is too long. But I feel like we will arrive in another point where this shit is just not as normalized. 
Yeah, I actually agree with you. I, I think that, like, you know, we've seen historic numbers of young folks, women, people of color running for office in this last cycle. And I just think that we are different. I don't I don't think that we're, I don't think that we're going to tolerate this. And I think that yeah. we are going to hold people with power, whether it's legislators or policymakers or tech leaders, we're we're going to force them to, you know, do what they can to to create a situation where this isn't the norm because this is not this is not a a, a functional democracy. This is not a healthy democracy when this is how the political landscape and the media landscape that people are trying to compete in. It's just not healthy. It's not a functional democracy. And I think young people are, are, are smart enough to see that. Totally. And as and, and our Senate and our Congress are old. I mean, you guys remember you remember when Zuckerberg testified uh, like a f- few years ago. And it's like you got senators being like, oh, Mr. Zuckerberg, uh, what is uh, the FI stand for in Wi-Fi? Because uh, I think Y is wireless. But what is the FI? You know, just like, you're like, oh, Mr. Zuckerberg, could I, what is my password to my Amazon account? Like the most Luddite ass Senate, right? And that's going to change. And I think when that change, as we slowly change it, yes, we will hopefully have more protections. Yeah, it's so frustrating to watch those hearings where it's like the people who are in charge of making our policies around technology, like I forget who, what lawmaker it was, but was like, will you commit to ending Finsta? And Zuckerberg <laughs> was like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, like, what are you saying, sir? Like, what are you saying? And these are the people, that. like, I mean, it, it, I also, it also starts with getting, like, more young people in office. Because, like, we just, I mean. Yeah. I was just going to say, and surrounding them, too, you know. Like, absolutely. Uh, supporting, like, getting aid, you know, ask the staffers. 10% of Senate is made up of men named John. <laughs> That's, like, a real thing. Like, spelled two different ways, but 10% of Senate are John. Yeah. It's a solid name when you're born in 1929. Yeah, when you're a white guy who watched the moon landing, yeah. You, you, that's. <laughs> and so, you know, when it comes to these kinds of attacks and harassment that we're seeing, something I think is really interesting and telling is that it seems like the goal of these attacks is to really destroy marginalized candidates, their resolve, and to get them to internalize this abuse that is directed at them. Uh, this is from the folks who did the study um, at the Center for Democracy and Technology, that they wanted, that these candidates felt very strongly that the point of this kind of harassment was to just get them to internalize and accept the oppression that they face as women and co- women of color and just drop out of politics. And so you see that that has an incredibly, like, silencing effect, you know. And unfortunately, the, and the research bears this out, that these kinds of threats do keep women from running for office or just sort of engaging in, in public life in general or civic life because they're smart enough to see the way that other women are treated. They see the way that law enforcement and media really do nothing or make it worse. And they're like, no fucking thanks. I don't yeah. want to deal with it. You know, just this yeah. afternoon, Nancy Pelosi announced that she's ending her career in politics on the heels of that horrific hammer attack against her husband, who not only was attacked after being attacked Elected officials and like political figures like and Elon Musk spread homophobic conspiracy theories about the attack, joked about it. And part of me is like, I can understand why she's just like, I'm out. You know, when a woman runs for office or is a public figure and she is attacked, it is never just her. It is her partner. It is her kids. It is her parents. It is her community. And I can understand why women are just like, you know, 
the cost is just too high. I don't I don't want to put myself or my family at risk to run for public office. And so I'm not going to do it or I'm going to check out of it. I can understand yeah. that. And so I think if women can't run for public office safely, then we will never have a truly representative democracy or a functional democracy in general. You know, the author of that report said, a lack of representation means that we lose the important insights and solutions to public policy problems that women of color will bring. We will all suffer. We all suffer if everyone does not have a seat at the table. And I could not agree more. Like, it is not just about the women who are attacked and targeted. All of us lose out when we don't even have a shot at a, at a landscape where people can safely serve their public through running for office. Absolutely. I mean, look, I'm not the biggest fan of Pelosi, but I do respect the hell out of her. And what I will say with people like her and also people like Clinton, I wish they would do what Monica Lewinsky has done. Um, and I think that's part and parcel of the fact that Monica Lewinsky is a little younger, but like taking her, the public, um, the scrutiny, the harassment, what she was put through and using it to actually try and change the culture. And I mm -hmm. think that Hillary and Nancy Pelosi come from more of a generation that's like, you gotta like go, you know, basically shut up and get along and like, um, like whatever it is, like get along to go along. I'm really terrible with any kind of idioms today, but <laughs> you too. guys know what I mean. <laughs> yes. Like, we, we, right. And so, and it's like, it's like, no, I don't think, I think we're done with that. And I think that young women and all people are done with the like, no, you have to shut up in order to appease these systems and halls of power. It's like, no, you don't. And, and so I hope that Nancy Pelosi in her, because she's not going to rest. This woman's never going to rest until she's dead. Like, she's going to keep on working. And I hope she uses, you know, um, her time to try and not cut the ladder from out underneath her, but help young women also accelerate and succeed in politics as well. She hasn't got a great track record with that. Going to be real. She jumped on a little bit of the anti-squad, anti-Ilhan Omar, you know, calling Ilhan Omar anti-Semitic when she totally was not being anti-Semitic. So, Nancy, you know, I hope you do better. Thank you for your service. I, I agree with you. Like, Monica Lewinsky, is, she's, she's my white whale podcast guest because I think the way yes. that she has turned You'll something that was, like, meant to silence her and belittle her she turned it into a platform and she really changed the conversation about online shaming and online harassment and online bullying. And I, I respect the hell out of it. Monica, if you're listening, please call me. <laughs> you're my white whale guest. She um, did that, think, that TED talk about the price of shame. That's right. Mm, and yeah. she she has a really good doc. She's in a really good documentary called 15 Minutes of Shame on HBO Max, which mm. everyone should watch all Great about doc. online shaming. Um, but yeah, I, I agree. I, I, I hope that this becomes a kind of situation where women are not expected to suffer in silence and and ha have a kind of like poised face because, mm -hmm. you know, it doesn't serve anybody. And it's funny because in, in an interview I listened to with Kia, she was asked, she said, she said that so many people were like, you should just ignore this. You, don't, you shouldn't stoop to right. their level. You should just ignore it. And I'm so glad that she didn't ignore it because it started a conversation about what is and is not acceptable in discourse. And... You know, if you ignore it, it just festers and gets more empowered. And so the yes. advice of just saying like, oh, rise above, you know, go high, don't go low, ignore it. You're too good to respond. I don't think that advice is really serving anybody, particularly if you're marginalized or you're like a young person who's coming up on this like online next generation. Yes, absolutely. And I think it's why a lot of people who are harassed uh, incessantly often post 
um, those DMs or that harassment um, or the, you know, air the voicemails that, you know, people like AOC or Ilhan Omar get um, or Pramila Jayapal, who I believe was threatened as well. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, we, more folks need to understand this is a daily occurrence um, before we actually like take it seriously. Um, and whether or not Pepe Lamax Mish understands it, I mean, he's not getting paid by anybody, but he's absolutely part and parcel of this system designed to like, yeah, keep women and people of color out of any kind of decision making process over their lives. Exactly. And I'm so glad that you put it that way, because this was my my whole intention behind this podcast is that it's so easy to think that when someone is being targeted in this way, it's individual. And certainly it, it has individual impacts, of course, but it's also institutional. It's also systems. It's also, you know, power structures that enable it or, you know, amplify it or profit off of it. Right. Yeah. It's, and so we need to start picking apart and calling out all of the systems that make this kind of harassment a viable thing for people to do and break those systems and say, we're not going to tolerate this. If you want to engage in this kind of discourse, we're not going to amplify it. We're not going to incentivize it. You're not going to be able to build a platform off of it. And it's not going to be effective. You're going to pay $200 for that DM. Yes. <laughs> Honestly, I would accept some like harassing DMs if I got $200 every time. It yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. You got to give me 500 bucks. But yeah, say whatever you want need to say to me. SJW, cool, whatever. Um, Kaching. Exactly. It's like a cameo, but for hate. Yes. Ooh, you need to you need to like pitch this to some venture capitalists, friend. <laughs> but that's the whole thing. The, the irony is exactly what you're saying, which is these platforms already pay for. They get that stuff for free. Yeah. They're the ones making money off of the it, hate. It's going into their pocket, and exactly. it's like we, I would say. I mean, like I would argue that. Marginalized people, we are absorbing the hate to make yes. tech leaders more money. And You're we the, need to it's break the that system. the externality of capitalism. And that's the thing. What if Google was like, listen, Bridget, if you get trolled, I'll give you $200 every time, you, like every like hateful tweet. That I might, I'd be like, that's, that'd be, that'd be a good solution for the whole thing. And they it would certainly it. incentivize them to, you know, fix the problem, which is all we're asking for. And I guess this is my, like, overall point. You know, we, especially in the Democratic Party, we love our slogans like, support Black women, yes, trust Black women. Like, I have a trust Black women shirt. And I am all on board for, like, championing the leadership of Black women. But we can't just say, you know, support Black women without also being honest about the unfair, racist, sexist attacks and harassment that they will they will probably face when they get into these leadership roles that we like are vocally supporting them for. And so totally. we need to be creating the conditions so that those women that we love to champion also have a chance at an equal playing field, that we're not just setting them up to be knocked down, to have to like, you know, abandon their office and leave town because of harassment and threats and garbage. Amen. And we didn't even talk about Katanji Brown Jackson, but <laughs> my mind went to her as well. Yes, I, coming coming soon, coming soon. Oh, yay, okay. Great good, example, good. coming good, soon. Good, good, good. Awesome. That is all I have, Fran. I, there is like no one else that I would rather have dug into all this with than you. Aww. And I appreciate you taking the time after you've, you know, had so much going on. <laughs> so much going on, babies, probably. It's been two hours. Time to feed yet again. Uh, I'm going to go uh, soak my aching nipples, guys. That's... 
as you should. TMI, (laughs) deal with it. We need to support women much more. Um, But yeah, Bridget, this has been awesome. And um, I mean, awful, but also like people like you are like, oh, yeah, there's hope. There is hope. You make me feel very hopeful. And where can folks follow you and what you're up to? Yeah, dude, follow me on all things at Franny Fio, F-R-A-N-I-F-I-O. And then The Bituation Room is a podcast. It's also a live stream every Tuesday, 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern on YouTube and Twitch. Yay. Internet Hate Machine is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more podcasts from Cool Zone Media, check out our website, coolzonemedia.com. Or find us on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at, at first, first listen. listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.